Welcome back to another episode of A Desi Woman Podcast. I am your host, Sonia Gokwai, and the voices I am seeking may have never been heard before, but their stories deserve to be told. What is a Desi Woman? She is a dynamic, fearless, and strong woman. She is your mother, your grandmother, your daughter, your sister. She is every one of us who is on an endless pursuit of self-empowerment and fulfillment. I am Sonia Gokhlai, and I am a Desi woman. Hello, and welcome to another edition of a Desi Woman podcast. I am your host, Sonia Gokhlai, and today we are excited to welcome the executive director of the Sikh Coalition, Satyajit Kaur. Satyajit became the Sikh Coalition's executive director in 2018, and in this critical role, she manages the day-to-day operations staff and strategic direction of the largest Sikh civil rights organization in the United States. Prior to becoming executive director, Satyajit spent eight years working for the Sikh Coalition in nearly every core facet of the organization's work. In her early years with the organization, she managed operations, supported Sikh state standards and education projects, developed Sikh awareness resources, and launched the Sikh Coalition's social media platforms. In recent years, as the Senior Director of Development and Finance, she refined organizational branding, incorporated game-changing technology, and installed new processes that resulted in the Sikh Coalition receiving recognition as one of the top nonprofits for transparency and governance. Her fundraising leadership has also resulted in doubling the amount of resources now supporting the Sikh community in the United States. Fluent in Punjabi, Satyajit was born and raised in New Jersey and is a graduate of New York University with degrees in religious studies and psychology. She previously served as a member of the Asian American Impact Fund. She's also a New York Community Trust Leadership Fellow and a board member for Lahir, a project to encourage a revival in Sikh community activism through the arts. In 2020, she was named as one of 15 faith leaders to watch by the Center for American Progress. Satyajit, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Sonia. Well, we are very excited to have you. And, you know, for 20 years, the Sikh Coalition defended Sikh civil liberties in the community courtrooms, classrooms, and halls of Congress. And whether it's working to secure safer schools, prevent hate and discrimination, create equal employment opportunities, or empower local Sikh communities, the Sikh Coalition's goal is is working towards a world where Sikhs and other religious minorities in America may freely practice their faith without bias and discrimination. And I really want to congratulate you on your role because I know you stepped in a few years ago and perhaps the first woman at the helm of this organization. And so if you could just speak to me more about that and how you found yourself here in this leadership role, which really, really is such an important position and a very um, longstanding organization in this country. Thanks, Sonia, for that wonderful introduction. But I am very proud to say I am not the first sick a sick woman to lead the sick coalition. That's awesome. Oh my goodness. Okay, yeah, that's um, wonderful. 
My predecessor, who led the organization for many years, was a strong Sekhomen Sabrith Gore. And since the founding of the organization and uh, throughout its leadership, and if you look at our staff makeup, we are very, very proud that we have always been working to make sure that the sick women presence is at least 50%. But yeah, most of our staff is actually women <laughs> from all different backgrounds. Wow. But yeah, we're definitely strong on the women front. So, and that's that's always been very important to us, not just because we're inspired by sick values of equality, but because when you're representing any community, women make up 50% of that community, no matter what. And it's important that they're represented in leadership decision-making spaces. So I'm very grateful that I'm not the first sick woman that has led the sick coalition. I am very grateful that I have so many women colleagues. That is absolutely phenomenal and, abs- <laughs> and very, very progressive. I mean, I have to say amongst our diaspora, it's it's unfortunately not the case. And so you guys are really the torchbearers of this. And I, I my hat goes off to you. And what's really interesting is that the coalition's work is carried out at the local, state, and federal levels. And I must acknowledge that woefully, one of the reasons that I was prompted to reach out to you is because of the recent horrific shooting and deaths of eight people at a FedEx facility in Indianapolis, Indiana, four of whom were from the Sikh community. Now, about 90% of the workers at the FedEx warehouse um, are members of the local Sikh community. And, And truly, my thoughts and prayers go out to all the victims, their families, and all those affected by this tragedy. And I would offer that that would be the entire country. It was just senseless and and just horrific. I know that your coalition has been involved in working with the local community and in seeking justice and answers around this devastating and needless loss of life. I recognize there are active investigations around this, so I really am just seeking any comments that you might have at this time as this continues to unfold. Yeah, I think in the United States, right, mass shootings have very unfortunately become almost commonplace to say. And so every couple of weeks, every week, there is another one that is riveting the country. And unfortunately, Indianapolis, and specifically because from the sick perspective, right, there were sick community members that were among those killed, but really because again, any loss of life, especially those individuals, right? Like they are just working so hard. They're the backbone of, of America. It's really unfortunate. And as far as this idea of imploring that bias be investigated as a possible motive, it's really important because given the shooter's propensity to violence Given his past, given his search history, it's really critical that a thorough investigation is done. It's not enough to just say like, okay, well, we know who did it. It's really important to understand why he did it. And in in truly an effort to make sure that we can better protect all marginalized communities, and make sure that no community feels targeted. Because regardless of what the motive is found um, through the legal investigation, it is true, right? The impact, the feeling of being targeted targeted is very real for the sick community. 
And that impact and that trauma is also very real. And we have to be able to address those things. And part of that is actually understanding the why. Very much so. Absolutely. And we will, we're all watching and waiting for the investigation as it proceeds and, and what the results of that might be. And I have to say that I was researching for this and other podcasts. What really struck me about the Sikh community in the United States is the fact that they're really representative of some of the earliest immigrants to this country from our diaspora. And while that is to be celebrated, I would offer that along with that comes the undeniable fact that they have also been subjected to discrimination and bias for a much longer duration, maybe more so than any other group from our diaspora. In fact, in researching, I find that we can go back all the way to April 6th 1899, whereby the San Francisco Chronicle announced the arrival of four Sikh men who were allowed to enter the U.S. in San Francisco. And this is the first record of South Asian pioneers in California. The author uh, sort of condescendingly admired them for their strength and um, good looks, but he struggled to pronounce their names. And I will have a link to this um, sort of research in the podcast notes. But it's notable that the positive description of these Punjabi pioneers in this article was rare. Over the next decades, California newspapers were hostile, reflecting and spreading the growing alarm about the new arrivals and immigrants to this country. And I just want to see if you have any thoughts on that, because I I truly was not aware of the longevity in this country. My parents came in 1962. I mean, that is nothing. <laughs> We're talking about, you know, the time of Queen Victoria and, and really being involved in sort of the gold rush in this country on the West Coast and, and being subjected. They were called Hindus and, and even quote unquote ragheads in California until the 1980s. And these terms were clearly meant as racial slurs to signify the new arrivals, um, foreignness. And sadly, we, we see some of this occurring even today. So I just want to get your thoughts on the history and how that ties in to your organization. Yeah, of course. And I think with almost every single minority community in this country and and marginalized group in this country, there are long, long histories of hate. There is a reckoning that we have to have in this country um, about not just our history, but our present. And so when we're looking at that, when we're looking at the arrival, when we're looking at Bellingham riots up in Washington, the discrimination, the bias that you're talking about in California, but also the exclusionary policies that existed, right? There were real um, exclusionary policies around immigration on land ownership, on citizenship. So it's not just the forms of hate that exist from hate speech to hate crimes to rioting and vandalism, but also the discrimination that it, uh, occurred in jobs, again, in land ownership, and who was allowed to be a citizen, even though they were fighting in wars on behalf of the United States. And so I think that's really important for us to understand, acknowledge is also equally important for us. And I feel very strongly about this as a sick woman and as someone who has been working at the Sick Coalition for years now, I'm very proud of the community in our history that no matter how tough 
and how challenging the circumstances are made around us, how much discrimination there is. There is a resiliency in this community to fight and fight hard and not just fight for themselves, but to fight for others. So at the same time, right, you also have six that were fighting for South Asia's independence from the British, uh, from British colonization through the Gother movement out in California. You have six who were pushing back and fighting for citizenship reform on changing policies for land ownership and making sure that those exclusionary policies don't exist. The first Asian American to ever serve in Congress was a Sikh American named the Leap Singh Son. And so where there was discrimination, where there was real episodes of hate, where there was violence, there is also this very rich history of the Sikh community leading the fight for change as well. And I think both have to be acknowledged and they go hand in hand. There's no question about that. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. We often hear about Black Americans, African Americans fighting for our country when um, they were facing enslavement or issues related to civil rights. And you bring up a great point. Sikh Americans were fighting for this country and facing discrimination at the same time. And so it's absolutely incredible legacy, as you stated. And it kind of leads me into my next question, which is clearly a rhetorical one. And that is, why is there a need for your organization? And why does the work matter? I can offer that the Sikh coalition is often the first and only line of defense for Sikh civil rights in America. And, and you sort of serve as an insurance policy for those who would not otherwise have their rights protected. And to quote a statement from your coalition, Sikhs are often targeted for hate crimes in part quote, due to the Sikh articles of faith, including a turban and beard, which represent the Sikh religious commitment to justice, tolerance, and equality. So can you offer more about this? And have you seen an unfortunate uptick in hate crimes against the Sikh community as of late? Though I would venture to guess, as we've stated, this has been a consistent problem going back to the 1800s. Yeah. To your first question, and then tying it back to like the commitment to justice, tolerance, and equality, the work matters, not just because we're the first line of defense so often for community members, but because we can't change what happens to us. We can change our response. And it's really important for the sick community, and again, all marginalized communities, everyone to be able to organize a really strong response to the hate and violence and exclusionary policies that exist. And it's important for us to be able to be organized and fight back. And so for me, when I think about why does this work matter, the work matters because every sick kid across the country, when they don't receive the justice and that they should from their schools when they are severely bullied, their administration should be held accountable. And those kids should probably be able to say like, yeah, I have an institution that has my back. When a sick uncle is beaten, he and his family should absolutely be able to say, yeah, I have an organization that's willing to go to the mat for me. When a sick woman is facing real challenges and discriminated at her place of employment, yeah, 
we should absolutely have an institution that's willing to do whatever it takes, including litigating her case in order to make sure that she has every right to pursue employment in that institution. And so that's why the work matters. And truly, if the SIC coalition is doing its job well, if other civil rights organizations are doing their job well, we're in it to put ourselves out of business. We shouldn't have to exist. But the truth is, the world that we live in, civil rights organizations absolutely have to exist because someone has, like, there has to be an institution that's willing to go to the mat for our communities. And so, yeah, that is the commitment that we have. And that is very much in line with the commitment that every Sikh carries as a part of their faith, as a part of their identity, that we're committed to justice, we're committed to equality, and we are committed to making sure that no one has to live in a world where they are either fearful or uh, have to carry hatred in their heart for anybody else. Well, I love that response. And it's really quite profound what you stated. You're right. We cannot control the actions of of any of the perpetrators or uh, those that um, choose to pursue hate crimes. But I love your response that he certainly can um, control the response and then rally around those within your community that need your resources and the encouragement and support. And I wanted to cover some of the specificities around what your organization offers, because it is really quite robust. And you offer an interdisciplinary approach And you're really leading efforts to promote Sikh awareness and prevent bullying. Well, most importantly, I should say, in our nation's public schools. And and your goal is to build resilience and pride among Sikh American youth. And students experience high rates of bullying from the Sikh community. And despite being the world's fifth largest religion, which I was not aware of, Sikhism is also often left out of school curricula. And there's a dearth of resources and inaccurate textbooks, which can lead to misrepresentation in the classroom. I am so glad that you're doing this because apart from learning about, I know there's so much discussed around the 1619 Project, this is so incredibly important. The Sikh community and, and those from our diaspora have been in this country for such a long amount of time. And I did not learn about the Sikh religion. I went to a private school, a fairly elite private school. So I am so glad that your coalition is partnering with policymakers, school officials, textbook companies, and educators to systematically address some of these interconnected issues. So if you could just tell me more about that, that would be amazing. So bullying is a, is truly an epidemic uh, in this country. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done in order to address the, the challenges that kids face in feeling not just bullied in a way where it's, you know, oftentimes we think about it as being physical. And of course, that has to be addressed. But also, it's the name calling, it is the cyberbullying attacks, it is the isolation, the feeling excluded, the feeling like you really don't even have a, a space. And that's something that's persistently done by students and teachers and administrators in schools. And so, Yes, the kids face bullying at rates that sometimes are as high as twice as much as the national average. But 
both of those numbers are ridiculously high. And so like, how do we really think about what it means to end school bullying and what it means to end school bullying? And of course, we're being very specific to the sick community and, and some of what we address, but what we are talking about works across multiple communities. Okay, well, when school bullying happens, what is the school's response? How is the school actually addressing what happened? And let's say it's between two students, right? What happened between those students? Is there restorative justice? Is there anger management classes being taken? How was the reporting happened? Who was actually moved in that classroom? And quote unquote, who was punished, right? Thinking about all of those things and like the effect that it has and the impact that it has on a student's mental health. And then now taking a step back from that, okay, what are we actually doing to make sure that the classroom feels safe, right? Do students know how to report instances of bullying? Do they feel comfortable doing it? Do they feel like they're taken seriously when they report cases of school bullying? Okay, let's take it even a step back one more. Are school, are classrooms safe, but are they also inclusive? How are different communities taught? We talked about the Bellingham riots. We talked about the Gother movement earlier. We talked about sick immigration and the policy changes that they helped lead out on. How much of that is taught in classrooms? So it's also about making sure that there is accurate representations of different communities, different in thoughtfully teaching history to make sure that those perspectives are included. And then like looking around our classrooms, right? Like I had spoken at a keynote um, at an education conference in Florida. And I remember when I asked Florida social studies teacher, like how many of you all feel that in your classrooms, the populations that you serve are accurately reflected in the materials that you're teaching? And it was like, almost someone raised their hands because, you know, like this one, this one teacher and I remember that she was like, I have such a significant Haitian population in my classrooms and we barely talk about the Haitian community because it's just not part of our standards. It's not part of our curriculum instruction. So therefore it doesn't trickle into the classroom. And so making sure that that is actually addressed at a policy level, at the state standards level, at the school district curriculum level, and then also in textbooks, like it's really critical because that's how you go from not just addressing school bullying, but making school safe and also making kids feel really included and not isolated. It's such incredibly important work. Wow. Amazing. Well, in addition to that, Promoting equal employment opportunity is paramount importance, and and your mandate is that all workers deserve an equal opportunity to pursue the career of their dreams. And the coalition is dedicated to ending religious discrimination in the workplace, but also to ensure that federal and state laws require employers to reasonably accommodate the religious practices of employees and job applicants. And when qualified Sikh Americans are shut out of careers because of their appearance, your coalition and its legal team is committed to fighting back. And I am perhaps naive. I am surprised this is still happening in this day and age, but I would love to hear more about all of this from you. Yeah. No, employment discrimination, bias in in workplaces, not being able to accommodate uh, the sick identity in particular fields, it's very much still a very prevalent issue 
we get cases about it all the time. And so, yeah, that work is, is actually really critical. And again, like, it's really important to understand, right? Like there's degrees, there's some places where they actually have policies in place that prevent six from being employed if they carry the articles of faith. And so we've been taking on this work with the United States militaries, different law enforcement branches, even some other organizations, right? Where they're like, we, our policies will just not allow for a Sikh who carries their articles of faith. So in particular, the, the star um, and the beard, but, you know, the garban as well. In some cases, the garda um, in a lot of food supply spaces. And they'll say, yeah, we're not going to make any accommodations. Then you'll have situations where the hiring practices or promotions and things like that, it's very clear that they will not hire a sick because of the way that they look, or they will segregate sick employees because of their identity, their faith, and give them what we call like back of office roles instead, right? So they're not visible as much. And then there's just, you know, in in certain situations where hostile work environments are created because of someone's faith and identity. And so there's also different ways that you will see discrimination come to light in these places. And so our work is, yeah, of course, we take on some of those cases. We do high impact litigation. We will use media and press to influence power brokers, and we actively work to make policies that exist at state and federal levels. That is one of the things that we actively work on as strong as possible to best protect not just the employees, but many religious minorities and marginalized communities in those ways. So we've worked on policy changes in California, in New York City, New York State, that better protect employees of all different backgrounds. And I'm looking at your site, and even in the armed services, as recently as February 12th, 2020, the Sikh coalition was able to commend the U.S. Air Force and a recent move to clarify the uniform and grooming accommodation for religiously observant minorities, including Sikh Americans. And in particular, your client was Airman First Class Gurchetan Singh, and he's the first Sikh American to secure a religious accommodation to serve in the Air National Guard. And so it's, it's again, it's shocking that you are on the front lines serving this country, and yet your organization is so needed so that accommodations can be made and no Sikh American should have to choose between their religious beliefs and their career ambitions. It's just striking that even those that are serving honorably and capably in the U.S. armed forces are, are compelled to, to stand up for themselves. And thank goodness that you exist. <laughs> but any comments on that? It's just yeah. shocking to me. Yeah. So would I add to that, right? It's... Um... It's, of course, 100% um, an individual's choice on what they want to do as far as their employment goes. But like you said, no one should have to pick between their faith and their professional aspirations, their career aspirations ever, right? Like no one should be told that they can't do a job, which they are fully qualified to do and have passed every test, um, have met every credential to do just because of their faith. 
their race or their gender or their sexuality or their sexual orientation, right? Like those are things that just shouldn't exist. But the truth is like, you know, you're using the military example and the Air Force's for several individuals is is more recent. You know, we had to we had to take on the army in this several years ago. And so these changes are actually very recent. And even if we look at the history of the military, right? Like there has been uh, racism, segregation, and exclusionary practices around the Black community, around women, around transgender community, the LGBTQ community for like, it's also in our very recent history. And, and so that just goes to show that when we think about our work, it's intertwined with so many other communities. And it's really important that we address these things because if there are exclusionary policies that exist, it's so easy for someone to say, well, yeah, if they can do it, so can we. And that's why it's important to take those challenges head on. That is such an important point that you you work on behalf of other marginalized communities and you see your role in advancing the cause for all who may be facing discrimination. So I think that's an amazing message and you're absolutely right that Black Americans have faced this issue in the military. But again, it, it's just shocking that here you are, you're putting your lives on the line for this country and, and so it just underscores the importance of your organization in terms of advocacy and community empowerment and institution building is also important. I was so delighted to see that I am an alum from the Ohio State University and I was scanning the student organizations and they have a very, very thriving Sikh student organization there. And that was not there when I attended the university many eons ago. But I want to learn more about that in terms of your grassroots leadership, community empowerment, and institution building. And are you starting, it sounds like you work amongst schools across the country at all levels of education, but I want to hear more about that and and if this includes the collegiate level and other grassroots initiatives. Yeah, of course. We at the Sick Coalition strongly believe that no matter the size of our organization, it will never be big enough to serve the very quickly growing population of the Sikh community across the United States. And quite frankly, it's really important that Sikh communities, local Sikh communities across the country, build out their own leadership and build out and continue to build out their own leadership. And different voices reflect different perspectives in our community, right? No community is a monolith in any way. And so having that diversity of voices, of opinions, of perspective across the country and in leadership roles locally at state level, and then of course at the federal level is really critical. And so how do we build those pipelines? How do we build that type of network? How do we build that type uh, um, in just that leadership development and that pipeline? And so it is really about being grassroots and identifying uh, sevadars and, and community members who are doing brilliant work and like, how do we actually support them? How do we make sure community members know their rights? How do we set up clinics? How do we build confidence in the youth? And so there's many different ways of doing this and our approach is always catered to whatever that local sangha, that local community wants and needs. And then, yeah, it's also about partnering with 
organizations and groups in the Sikh community across the country. So whether that's Sikh student associations, different community organizations that are emerging across the country, CASA schools, some of our partner organizations like Sikh Family Center, Jagara, um, there's so many. It's just being in a position where we are thinking about empowering one another and not just keeping our resources centralized to a few, because that's how we build community power. And that's just really critical for us. And yeah, that's how we think about that work. And quite honestly, right, when you are a a small community, relatively, or in in a relatively young community, when you need to punch above your weight class, like you need to bring everyone out. And so that's why the grassroots um, and that's why community organizing and community mobilizing is so important, right? We do better when we're in it together. There's no doubt about that. And I, you know, I'm really impressed that you do have summer internships as well. And for those students pursuing undergraduate or graduate studies. And and again, I will have a- Yeah, I started as an intern, so 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. That's amazing. Well, I'm I'm going to have links to all of this uh, because I think it's pretty incredible. And I see that it's inclusive. I mean, the picture you have here of your interns is inclusive of of many different backgrounds. So it's not just limited to Sikhs. It looks like there's a wide variety of people that can participate. And as you stated- you need everyone's involvement in this initiative. And, you know, I wanted yeah, to talk It's not to just you. six that work at the organization or intern or fellow. It's people of all different backgrounds and even people of different backgrounds, even in the sick community. So, yeah. All yeah, welcome. I see that in your legal team too. And and really, it's just absolutely incredible. I I think this might be, um, it is one of the most impressive organizations that I've seen. And and yet, like you said, it's, it's not big enough. I don't know if you can be big enough. And whether it's a sad commentary on the society or, or just all the work that has to be done. But I think what makes you guys unique is, is truly you are representative of all marginalized communities. And I have to say that I recently did an interview with Dr. Anuradha Chinoy from New Delhi, India, about the COVID-19 crisis. And the Sikh community is really on the forefront of helping communities, helping people throughout India get access to oxygen and really just to be applauded for that effort. But it's remarkable what's happened across the temples in India and really not enough can be done at this point. It's a true crisis, but I, but I had to bring that up as well. And, and working across religious lines, it's amazing. I don't know if you know or can speak to anything about that. A huge shout out to Khalsa Aid that not just in this crisis, but in so many crises, refugee crises, uh, sorry, natural calamities are always at the forefront and taking the concept of Langer and Seva from the Sikh, uh, from Sikh theology and Sikh history and literally putting in action everywhere. So yeah, I always super proud and super impressed by their work. And yeah, they're right now also sending oxygen concentrators and not just organizing to get them from places like the US, Canada, and the UK, but also working locally in India to make sure that they're getting to the average person. And I think that's really important because part of the problem in the crisis in India is just the real, like what's needed resources are not getting to the average person on the ground and that it's really not accessible. And so just being in a position where 
they're doing all of that and they're leading out on that and just making sure that everyone has access to the best that they possibly can, again, with very limited resources. But yeah, there's gurdwaras across India that are being converted into hospital beds. Even here in the United States, uh, gurdwaras have become centers for vaccine. And so just, yeah, over the last 15, 16 months, once again, I am deeply, deeply proud of our community and their leadership in Siva. And just, and it's almost never when cameras are on, they're always doing this work when cameras are off and somebody else has to bring in the cameras, but they don't do it for that. They literally are like, we just need to roll up our sleeves and figure out how to get it done. And I remember last year, there were so many Sevadars across the country where it was like, we don't even know how to set up like a food delivery system service, right? Like they, we know how to do lungers in Gurdwara, but like, how do you do that? So people and at the volumes that are needed with cars coming in and out, or how do you do it where you're actually delivering it into places that cannot come easily and access the Gurdwara? And they were like, we just figured it out as we went. Like we were like, you know, oftentimes they say like, you know, God will see us through, right? Like why we will figure it out for us. And like, that's literally what they did. They just said God's name. And we're like, we're going to figure it out as we go. And we just have to get this done. And oftentimes never even knowing where the money was going to come from. Right. They're like, we'll just figure it out. That's just absolutely incredible, really. And, and it sounds like even in this country, but especially right now in India, lives are being saved as a result of the Sikh community and, and their seva, as you've indicated. It's it's really, really um, something to behold. And overall, I am just blown away by the work you're doing and your organization is doing under the mandate that all people deserve to live in a world without hate and discrimination. And I'm just so inspired by this podcast. And in closing, I, I just want to see if there's anything else that you have to offer. I am going to have links to all of this in the podcast notes because I know I'm inspired to to get involved in some capacity. And you um, are just an amazing spokesperson on behalf of the organization. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you for your time. And, and you know, in closing, I think the one thing I would encourage everyone is to really dig deep and think about where you fit into all of this. Um, We all have a role to play. Every single one of us has a role to play. And so if you are, you know, working at a fortune 500 or a company, like what is your role in diversity and inclusion and creating a safe workplace? If you are an educator, if you work in, whether it's public schools, private schools, administration, whatever it may be, right? Like, how are you thinking about making different communities and yourself learning about different communities and making sure that their perspectives are included? If you're doing policy work, if you're a community organizer, like whatever your role may be, whether it's here, whether it's in South Asia, you know, there are crises everywhere and we all have to like i said roll up our sleeves and do our part and so really digging deep and thinking critically about your own biases about your own challenges and 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 how you see the world and and widening that perspective and then thinking about what it is that you are really good at and how can you apply that to really ending hate in the world and creating a more inclusive and joyful place for all of us to be right like that's that's what we want that's what we want for our kids that's what we want for future generations so what's your role in that 
Absolutely. And, you know, we cannot thank you enough, Satyajit Kaur, for joining us today. You are the embodiment of someone that is using their life and their talent and skills. And uh, I've certainly been motivated. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.